Welcome to HivriaCast, the podcast where I, Alad Nehrai, speak with some fascinating and incredible creative Jews. Welcome to HivriaCast. Uh, this is Alad Nehrai. I have yet again forgotten the number episode that we're on, but I uh, remember a much more important thing, which is that we have with us John Madoff. As I said before, this is like a long time coming. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't Thank you. met until now, right? Yeah, right. not in person. Not in person. It's weird. It like, is weird. Just because the Jewish creative world <clears throat> is like so in touch with each other, I think, for the yeah. most part. Yeah, we're yeah, rare. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but right. I think that's true. You kind of find you know find each other. Like, oh, there's one. There's one. <laughs> right. And it's just so funny because I guess I know you. Like I feel like I know you because likewise. I just see you all over the place. Yeah, on yeah, Facebook. likewise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So very interesting. Well, it's great to meet. Great to you too. You too. Thank yeah. you. Why don't you? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? You know, you're, sure. It's great to. It's great to have a musician on, by the way, because I. It's hard. I, Here's my theory about musicians. Okay. And you tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? Is that I think they're it's super flaky. That's my theory. Completely right. Yeah? Absolutely. Because I can't, I can't pin them down. They're yep. very hard. Yeah. And true. the ones that aren't flaky are, and this is my bias, yep. <laughs> are, are more verbal people. Like less. Oh, that's interesting. That's my theory. And that's maybe I my writer bias. that I'm probably not... As flaky as some other musicians, and I also think that I talk too much. <laughs> okay, that's well. So that's that why might, you're perfect. That for may this. confirm your theory right. perfectly, and that's why, yeah, and that's why you you got you're here with me. So that's great. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. actually able to schedule things. <laughs> my great. my theory with musicians for a while was the better they are, the flakier they are. Wow. So that's which makes... put me not in that category <laughs> one. And also I that I realize that I need to find musicians who are good enough, mm. but not really good. Because if they're really good, I'm never going to get them for a gig or I'm never going to get them to call me back. That's so funny. I'm so happy to have that confirmed. Like Totally. Because I mostly talk to other writers. I'm like, they're pretty flaky, right? Yeah. And, they're like, <laughs> yeah. and I literally saw somebody on Facebook post today that she realized that you can't, you can't call a musician before 2 p.m. <laughs> like she's it's trying so to book them and it's like, that's amazing. That's so funny to me. Yeah. I do think, like, it's interesting. We had Noah Lubin on um, mm-hmm. when we started, and he is a painter and a musician. Oh, wow. And to me, that's like the double, right. like, <laughs> super. I, I guess what it is is, is like, it's you're beyond the physical kind of yep. those things. You know, you're very, you're very. Um, and I, I, my wife's a painter, and mm-hmm. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get painting. Like mm-hmm. it confuses me. Yeah. How you could do it. Like, yeah. You have I always feel like with paint, I mean, I guess some people tell me they feel this about music, but when I look at a painting, I'm always like, I may like it or not, but I'm definitely missing something. Right. There's something happening that I don't get. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I am with music too. Like I love yeah. music. Yeah. But I don't, I like, I do not get it. Like, yeah. Maybe we, maybe you'll help me crack it today. Can, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I mean, but I feel that about writing also. You feel like you don't get writing? Not even that I don't get... I'm just like in awe of people who mm. can do it. Right. That's how I feel about, about music. Yeah. And I guess with anything, it's like there's the physical... Whatever the physical, tangible aspect of it is. Even music, which maybe is less physical. But there's like the notes and the theory. And then there's this whole ocean underneath it. Oh, wow. And the way that a writer says something and mm-hmm. you know, all of that stuff, I'm just like I'm blown away by it. If it's good... 
It's good. <laughs> when I try yeah. to write something and express myself, I see how hard it is because the idea is there, but it's not doesn't have this extra feeling to it that really communicates what it's about. Right. That's that's interesting because I because to me it it feels less magical as a writer. Like in the mm-hmm. sense, I still feel it as magical when I do it, especially. But I think that I guess because it's like with writing, it's like it's like there it is. There's an idea. It's it's put. It's written like. Right. Just like we talk, like whatever. But with music, it's it's you have an idea, but it's not even like even more so than painting. It's not even it's not even something you can touch. Right. You know? Right, right, right. Yeah. It's crazy. It is to me. so like ephemeral, I guess, is the word. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. do you you feel like you try to put like how do you how do you Okay, I mean, we've kind of talked yeah, about yeah, what you yeah, do. You're yeah. a musician. You were on yeah. Zion 80, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a musician. I play guitar. I write music. I try to get the musicians to be less flaky because I'm a <laughs> band leader. Right. Zion 80 in particular has 10 people in it, so it's... You have it's, 10 people? Yeah. Wow, yeah. I can't imagine coordinating 10 musicians. Yeah, it's the hard... Like, when we show up somewhere, I feel like the job is like 85% done. Wow. Just to get them there. That's so crazy. So what, yeah. why do you need 10 musicians in a band? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I need them. <laughs> why um, do you want them in a band? So the initial inspiration for the band was, um, and I can talk about if you want how I got to that or whatever, but the, the music when it started, the initial spark was combining the music of um, Shomo Karbach mm. with the music of Fela Kuti. So, who's, who's Fela so Kuti was he was kind of the really the originator of this form of music called Afrobeat, and okay. he was. It's very interesting stories, interesting parallels between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like they were both kind of very traditional and very revolutionary in their own way. Mm-hmm. They lived around the same time, so they were around during the turbulent, you know, the sixties, mm. and. Um, they, I, I think there was a lot of similar opposition to what they were doing from within their own culture and other w- places. But Fela was from Nigeria, from Lagos, and he was from the Yoruba tradition, which I don't, m- most of what I know about it is from him and listening to his songs. But he, it's a traditional, you know, it's, it's not what he saw as, as colonized by mm. either Christianity or Islam it's, mm. or, or, you know, Western thought. It's kind of a pure expression of that place. So and I'm guessing there's a lot of drumming in that? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So, but the music he created, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of traditional music that came out of it, but the music he created is really a marriage of that plus jazz, plus mm. like American rock and soul and things like that. So the, the, the instruments in his band were all Western instruments, hmm. saxophone, trumpet, the drums, guitar, electric guitar, electric bass. Um, so what made it not colonized if it was all these? Well, that's Western? that's a very interesting, very interesting part of it because, um, I mean, in a way it was. And he also sang in English, which <laughs> okay. was kind of controversial. Mm. He, and, and and I may be speaking out of turn because I'm certainly not an expert on him. I mean, I've but I, I came to it through the music mm-hmm. and I was um, hanging out with somebody once and he just rattled off Fela's name. And he's like, you know, sometimes you use like Coltrane, you say the last name or Dylan, mm-hmm. but Fela, it's like Fela. It's just, or Jimmy, it's like the first name, Janice, you know, whatever. <laughs> so he's a first name guy. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. He said, Fela. And I was like, 
still don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and he said, we were staying with him. This is like pre-Spotify. So there were CD stores and we were staying with him. And he said, tomorrow we're going to go to the store. We're going to get you a Fela album because you're going to love it because he knew my taste already. And it was one of those things that was like, how have I not heard this before? Mm. It blew me away instantly. And it was just the sound of the music. Wow. Um, so yeah, he sang in English. He... Um, he used Western instruments. He was from a pretty well-off, um, I guess, well-known family. There were a lot of, um, I think he had like, uh, like Christian, like, uh, preachers or, and teachers and, you know, his brothers and sisters became like doctors and lawyers and dentists. Like he was, you know, from that kind of family and he was the rebel hmm. and he kind of, you know, kind of reclaimed his tradition, hmm. but in a way put himself out there as the emblem of that tradition, yet he's singing English and playing saxophone and playing across the world. Like in, you know, there are tapes of him. There's a, I think there's an album of him live in Detroit that's really good. Hmm. And at the Berlin, uh, I think at the Berlin Jazz Festival, there's like a famous concert where a lot of his band quit because oh, wow. they were fed up with how they were being treated. And <laughs> it's a whole wow. very dramatic story. That's really interesting. Um, but I don't think I answered your original question. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, it was about 10 people. So, <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So, so that it kind of explains it, though. That, there's, that sounds like there's a lot of ingredients to that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And his band, mm-hmm. I mean, he had different bands along the way, but his band was this very large band with a big horn section, mm-hmm. two guitars, bass, um, several drummers. So that's what I modeled Zion 80 off of. Wow. And if you're kind of working in that idiom, you need the sound of that, of the, because a lot of it is about the the way the the musical parts interlock. Mm-hmm. So it's like about like the five horns over the drums with the percussion and the two guitars doing this, you know, and it's like a certain sound. So. Cool. So he, see, hearing you talk about him and like his relation to his tradition, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously it sounds like there's some... I can imagine there's some sort of parallel going on in your mind when it comes to Judaism and the Jewish. Yes. Like, so how does that work for you? That's a really good question. And that to me, a lot of is the connection to Shlomo. Right. Um, to me, the thing, the, I mean, there's a lot going on there and, and to me that both of them kind of epitomize for me, this idea of like, like, you know, um, I don't know where the joke is from. Like, I, I think maybe I heard about Shlomo. Maybe, maybe Shlomo Kalbach said this. When he would go to a college campus mm. and he would try to find secular Jews to like turn on to Yiddishkeit, the people would, he'd go to the student center and the people would walk out of the, you know, the, whatever you call it, the student building where they're getting the mail and stuff. And he'd say, oh, excuse me, or, or, you know, um, I don't know. Like, wh- what's your background? And somebody would say, I'm Protestant. I'm Methodist. I'm Hindu. I'm Muslim. If a kid comes out and says, I'm a human, that's a Jew. <laughs> I think I heard that story. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. Right? So like, but to me, Shlomo and Fela, and I guess my ideal in life in a lot of ways is to get to the universal through the particular. Mm. Because universalism without anything balancing it to me is, I don't know, it falls short somehow. You know, that there's always some particular, it's like you kind of denying where you come from in favor of something larger, but 
So how do you do, like, what does that mean, like, on a practical level as a Jewish musician? Like, what do you, what's the particular? That's a good question. Yeah. As a Jewish musician, I mean, to me, in the band, it's like, do, like, our music, we, the band started in 2011, and mm-hmm. the first CD um, that we put out is all Kalbach melodies over in this context of Fela. Mm-hmm. So in a band and in a you know, uh, arrangements and, and, you know, an idiom of Afrobeat, but with Shomo Kalbach melodies. Um, and <clears throat> to me, that's the thing of like looking at this music of Kalbach, which is not old, but mm-hmm. it's certainly traditional, you know, in some manner of speaking. I know like the Nusach people musically are not happy about Karl Bach because now we sing Karl Bach and not like traditional new sock. But that aside, which is a valid point, I think mm. from the cantors that I've spoken to about it, but that you're taking your tradition and what you know and where you come from and you're expressing it in a way that is not only for your people to listen to. Mm. Right. I see. Interesting. So you try to play for like, a wider audience. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Like people have, you know, asked like, is this only music for Jewish people or mm-hmm. like, and t- to me, that's crazy. Right. I think that's, that's what's interesting about music is that that, yeah. that has that ability. Like, whereas writing I think is harder in that sense. That's, it's more concrete. So right. you have right. to, if you're going to write universal through the particular, that takes, I think, I don't know. It takes like some, a little bit more work, I think. Whereas, like with music, not not to say that you don't have to try with music, but it's kind of made to be universal. Like that's right. Like reggae, for example. Like to me, I always think of reggae. Like yep. that's this thing where yep. at least Bob Marley was able to tap into like his tradition, yes. and then it became this universal thing. Totally, yeah. and it's so amazing how particular it is. Right. Like I remember talking. I mean, specifically with Marley, talking about right. that when I was younger um, with a friend of mine who I'm still close with, who's a musician. We're like. What is he singing about? Right. We didn't even know what it was. Singing about Haile right. Selassie, growing your dreadlocks. And, and these two like white kids in the suburbs <laughs> of Philadelphia are like, this is amazing. Right. You know? And he's even using his own like, language. He's saying, yeah. like, I and I yeah. you know, overstand like, all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And he's not like, trying to right. make it about everybody. But in his commitment to a real right. tradition, he's... You can you can connect to it. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's that's exactly that's the perfect example. Okay, I'm about to. Okay, this is, <laughs> we're gonna see how this goes. Okay, but I have something like okay. I only I just can't ignore it only because especially because we just had this discussion. You, do you follow Hevria book? At I all? do. Did you see any of our controversies recently about Karbach? Yes. Yes. So I have to. I just feel yeah. like I can't even no, ignore no, no, it at this point. And I've been thinking about it actually specifically <laughs> from seeing it on, and I read the website also, but in the right. Hevria book. So yeah, and Hevria, let me just give a background for yeah, the, yeah, please, the listener. Please. But like, because there might be some I don't know, but I did see some of the posts recently. <laughs> yeah. So you know what's going on. That's good because I didn't want to like surprise you. But Hevria book is our Facebook group, and it has uh, we have a lot of like kind of the conversations you might <clears> not be able to have outside of like on public Facebook and that sort of thing. And one of the big debates we had recently was really like, like the group tends to get along pretty well, but one of the things that really div- divided us 
was this question about Karlbach. Now people are talking because of Me Too yeah. and because of all the accusations. If you're not aware mm-hmm. and you're listening, there's been a lot of accusations that have come out since he passed away about abuse and that sort of thing. And now we're all kind of reckoning with that because of the Me Too thing. And so I, I'm actually really curious because it sounds like your music is so integrated with that. Like um, It's almost like like you described, like half of what you do and that sort of thing. So how, how do you how do you do, how do you approach that? I, I like I'm actually fascinated by that situation. I can't even imagine what that must be like. But I'm fascinated I'm, by 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 your situation, like not in a positive way, but fascinated right. in the sense of what do you do when one of your biggest inspirations has yeah. been accused of these sorts of things? Yeah, you know. Yes. Um, I mean, with that specifically, it's such. I mean, I, I I've been aware. Of, I mean, the accusations, I guess, are not so new. Right. There was an article in Lilith, right? Right, and, right. I think but, it's just now it's becoming yeah. brought out again. And right. And it's and it's in this context now of all these things that are coming out. Right. And the other and part of that is this idea of like we need to not just ad, like deal with it, but all, like like how do we deal with it? Which is right now, at least in Hollywood, when they're at least we're dealing with people who are alive, so it's a little different. But the 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 idea is like Kevin Space. We find out about Kevin Spacey. Right. Like they canceled. Uh, they basically canceled like his. They they fired him from his shows. They they literally redid a movie with him. Really? You heard about that? Yeah, I didn't know about. There that. was a movie completely <clears throat> shot already, and they hired a new actor. Like it's unbelievable. It's like you've never even heard of such a thing. Like yeah, and they reshot yeah. the entire. I, I, movie. I've never heard of that. Yeah, they you hear resh- about like Louis C.K. His right. movie got. Right, that was about to come out is not happening, I guess. And, right, and his but show, actually, <clears throat> and he had like a very yeah. Louis C.K. is a great example too because he's at the top. He was integrated into FX and all these things, and, and now everything is shut down. So, yeah. so that's different than we used to deal with it, right? So, so I think not only are we admitting these things, but we're also dealing with it differently. Right. So that's my, I guess that's my question. Right, 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 right. Um. <laughs> there's so much, there's so many thoughts. I mean, I, I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I was thinking about it this morning and actually wondering if we were going to talk about this. <laughs> I was, and I'm just remembering that I, it was just one of the, you know, 500,000 things that, that went through my head this morning as I was just getting ready to go to work and bring my kids to the bus and all this. So one is just obviously... I mean, everything is so, it's so, the the whole, the whole political climate is so, and cultural climate, I feel like is so divided. And I have my own thoughts on that, but there is, you know, there's like all these accusations that are coming out and there's a different way that they seem to be dealt with in the culture. And then there's like kind of what we're talking about. To me, the fundamental question is there like, is about the separation or lack of separation between an artist and his or her art. Right, right. Um, so maybe I'll start like there. And I thought, and, and I was thinking, cause like, you know, I remember having this debate with friends of mine in college and not to bring it out of this context, cause that should be talked about. And it, it's mm-hmm. obviously something that I'm directly involved with playing Shlomo Kalbach's music, right. if nothing else. Um, but, you know, I remember reading Miles Davis's biography and he talks about um, there was an instance. I don't know. I, I don't know to what extent it was. It was a long time ago that I read it. But he talks about being violent towards his wife, hitting her. And then he has a whole thing about how he only did it once. <laughs> and I remember talking to my uh, 
woman that I was seeing at the time who is not my wife, but somebody, this is years ago in college now. Mm. And I actually remember saying, yeah, but he said he only did it once. Mm. I, and as I'm saying that, I was, even then when I was like 19 or 20, I was like, that's like, as the words are coming out, something in my mind was like, hmm, that might not be okay that you just said that. Cause, and then she said, come on, how many people have ever done that once? How many people who steal something or hit their kids or do anything like that? You don't just do it once or do drugs. That's what you say right. to compensate. So... But then I was like, well, can I listen to his music? Mm. This is Miles I'm talking about, but it's the it's same thing. And, I, and then the next, I'll just tell you the next place I thought of was like, well, with Shlomo, like, I'm a, I'm a man mm. and I'm a white man. Okay, I have a keep on a beard, but that's like the whole identity thing. But like, how can I even, I should defer to people who are in the group mm. that he has in a way attacked you know, I mean, allegedly attacked, but obviously we're, it always should be taken seriously. And there's statistic that the vast, vast, vast majority people are very rarely accusing people of these things when it didn't really happen. Right. And especially there's kind of lots of accusations and they all sound similar mm-hmm. and that, mm-hmm. and they don't know mm-hmm. each other. That's mm-hmm. like total clue know. that that's corroboration. That's like yeah. in a court of law that would stand up, hmm. you know? I mean, as a basic thing of the law, like, oh, this person said he did this, this person said, I mean, okay. That's interesting. Um, So, but then I thought, how can I, is there any way into like, for me to identify with that and to have a litmus test for if it's okay? And then I thought, okay, well, who's somebody who's like, now I'm not saying it's exactly the same thing. Who's somebody who's like a really vile (laughs) anti-Semite? I, t- I mean, and I might be wrong in making this analogy. I'm just telling you where, I'm, where my mind went. So I'm in the group that they're offending. Right, that's interesting. So like, I, like I, Pink Floyd was one of my favorite bands in the whole world when I was a kid. Mm. And now I feel a visceral reaction when I listen to Roger Waters singing. Right. I do, because I know, I, I know what, what else has come out of his mouth. Right. You know? But I listen to Richard Wagner... Mm-hmm. And that's cr- super anti-Semitic because it was used in the Third Reich as their like theme music. Right. And I remember also, and we can get back. I don't want to get too off topic, but this is just like no. This I is, remember like this is good. a couple months ago on Facebook, I posted something. I don't know if you know who Hildegard von Bingen was. No. She was. Um, I got turned on to her music. She was a maybe 12th or 13th century Catholic mystic who wrote this music that is out of this world. Hmm. It's this, it's like before there were even chords, there were just like, I don't even know, cause I'm not a classical music person so much. And it's certainly not an early music person, but the music is beautiful. Hmm. And I posted that I was listening to her early in the morning and how beautiful it was and da, 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 da. And then somebody sent me a quote and was like, she was, a gigantic anti-Semite. She had all these things about it, to burn the Jews at the stake. Da, 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 who knows what she did? Mm. How can you listen to that? And I literally was like, it was 800 years ago. Mm. That was 800 years ago. So, you know, I mean, that to me, it struck me as funny, like, okay, okay. Like everyone was an anti-Semite back then. <laughs> right. But it is a, there, there is some connection because there is some talk about like, the general climate of like 
men and women interacting and in the, in the, the power dynamics and like in the 50s and 60s, there was a different standard. And mm. does that make it okay? Right, that's interesting. You know what I mean? In terms of like madmen, like that kind of stuff happening mm-hmm. all the time and women being objectified and it's just like normal. But that's not okay. Which obviously is a different thing than actually, you know, phys- physically or sexually abusing somebody. There's this whole... So, yeah. I mean, I think the short answer to your question is I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. There's so, so here's, many, yeah. Here's, I have just a few thoughts about that. Yeah, I don't please. mean to turn this into a debate, but it's just something. No. Is it, this is something that's been in my mind so much, I have to yeah. talk about it. I, um, one of the. Uh, so, here's, here's my issue with that analogy is, yeah. is that the difference is, I think, that you're. I think the analogy that I'm hearing is almost like you're comparing women to Jews, whereas I think the truth is it's more like, <clears throat> like actual vic- like the, 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 the nimshal, I guess would be, would be actually women, um, who've been abused or, you know, that sort of thing. And so like, like for example, an actual victim of antisemitism, uh, right. who's been abused by it in a, in a, in a, in a traumatic way to right. me would be more analogous. Yeah. No, know? that's a fair point. And I think that's then, a very fair point. Right. So then if you imagine that, like, like, you know, to imagine someone who's been, let's say, um, uh, it's like, it's disgusting to even think of it, but like someone who was like, uh, phys- physically attacked because they were, because they were Jewish and it right. traumatized them for life. Right. Like, um, I'm imagining that if they were hearing music that they knew was by an anti-Semite, not only could it be extremely painful, but right. it might even, for some people, like, for example, they have PTSD, it might right. even actually re-traumatize them. Right. It could trigger them. Right. Um, yeah. And so that's that's interesting because the thing is that I, when one of the things that came up in the discussion was a quote, someone shared a quote um, by a rabbi who described an experience one of his congregants had when he heard Karl Bach's music. And essentially it was the symptoms of PTSD. I don't remember all the details, but essentially the kind of things that would go through someone's like, uh, mind and, and body when, when they're suffering from from, uh, being triggered, um, is what happened to him. And so (laughs) the question then, so then the question becomes, if we're talking about that, then there's like, we're not just talking about people being offended, right? It's actually people actively being hurt, maybe, by these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why, for example, we're saying, like, and so then, so one more step to that is then the societal aspect of it, which is what, if someone, if someone was, let's say, like, anti-Semitic to the point of actually abusing Jews right. or something like that, would we ever stand for their music or their art or whatever being um, promoted. And I think the question there isn't just about, can you separate the art from the artist? But by accepting their stuff into the mainstream, does that mean then that we're, ex- that we're, we're giving them a certain amount of power? And especially if they're incredibly popular, we're giving them power, right? right. So what that does is we're saying it's okay for powerful people to abuse that power by abusing Jews, right? In that, in this analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, and, and I would imagine, you know, for example, like we had this story of, 
of uh, Mel Gibson, right? When he mm-hmm. went on that rant, mm-hmm. not only like one of the, the messages when he like basically lost his career for a while, like he's coming back now, but he, he's definitely nowhere near, even now he's nowhere near where he was, right? right. Um, one of the messages was you can't have someone that powerful, that big, um, have viewpoints that are so dangerous because we know where they lead and all these things, right? Yeah. So, so you have these two aspects. One is like the actual victims of, of abuse, like still being hurt. And then are we empowering abuse, like, like even by allowing this stuff into the mainstream or by playing it or whatever, like I think it's very interesting because for you it's very personal because you actually play the music. Right. So the question is then, are we sending a message uh, that it's acceptable in that sense, like that we're, it's okay for them to have that level of, of, of power where you'd be willing to, to play their music around, you know, like right. that sort of thing, which right. is different also than just listening to music. We're talking about playing music. That's, that's also another right. level, I think. Right. And I think there was a, a debate in Hevria book about like whether people should be singing the songs at shul. Right. That was actually, yeah. and that's what's so interesting about this is that this is, that was essentially actually the crux of the debate, which is, yeah. you know, one, one big debate, like it was like a side debate was, was he actually an abuser? And then we were going into that whole discussion of how, how do you know? But then assuming that he is right. right. Then the question is, what do you do at that point? Which I right. feel like that's the question we're, right. we're dealing right. with. Right. Right. And I don't know. I mean, I mean, if somebody told me, that they were at a concert of mine and I played a song that was written by somebody that hurt them or brought, I mean, that would just be like, that's the opposite of what music and art should do if that's their reaction. And that I would be like, so it would just, it would be horrible. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I don't know, like, I don't know what the answer is to that. Have you done any like thinking for your, like in terms of your band? Like, I, I'm just curious. Like, have, has there been anything? Like, has there been discussions with your band or anything like that about this? Um, there have not been. But as we're talking, I I, I think maybe there should be. <laughs> wow. Um, I think maybe there should be. Just like you know, because. Ultimately, I mean, this is a separate thing, but I think for any any band that I've ever been in that works and that lasts is there is obviously it's a professional relationship, but there's a a real sense of camaraderie and friendship and love between the people. There has to be, right. you know, because you know, in order for it to work. So, I, and 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 I can imagine that there would be like different perspectives on if we sat down and had the conversation, should we keep playing this music? Um, it's so interesting because he's also like, you know, you're, you know, there's these stories about him. Like yeah. he's he's not just a a musician, right? He's like a figure. He's right, a, right. He has spiritual power, right? You know, right. And and I will tell you honestly, and 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 I knew certainly about the accusations or was aware of them somewhere, even though they seem to be coming to light in a different way now because of of other things that are coming to light about other people. But you know, um. I don't know the history with Fela, but he, I mean, on many occasions I have read about him being accused of being a misogynist. Right. <laughs> I mean, and also like, it's funny because I talk you know, about Marley, maybe like every time a musician comes in, I start talking yeah, about Marley, yeah. but he was also a misogynist. He, really? he cheated on his wife. He right. like, like openly, you know, and that wow. was actually a big, 
there was just this issue with Rasta culture, I think, in general. But I, I, actually, I don't want to make that broad of an accusation. But I do know for for sure that he he was kind of openly cheating on her. He was openly like in the documentaries you watch about him. Yeah. His wife talks about how wow. he treated her, which is interesting because she also still believed in him, still was married to him, yeah. still stuck with still him. Was in the band. Still was in the band. Yeah, guess, yeah. as he's doing this stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's like a question I think for sure, and, right. I, and I think right. That's so t- it's it's very hard. But I right. one of the things that's interesting to me. I'm sorry to like talk no. talk and talk, no, but no. one of the things I think what also touches on on your experience, and I'd love to hear about this. Is that someone brought up in the thread that okay, like whatever we think about all this Me Too, <clears throat> these Me Too um, changes in our culture, yeah. Which I, I personally, I'll just tell you, like, I personally support. Um, yeah. He says, like, look, if we're talking about someone like Shlomo Karlbach, his, some people's identity, like, not just their music, for example, like, their identity is wrapped up in him, right? It's like, that you can't separate their Judaism from him. It's not like right. a, a simple excising him from right. the cultural canon. It's like, right. the way that they look at their Judaism is shaped by him. Absolutely, right? so, yeah. And so it's so interesting to me. I feel like your music is kind of analogous to that in the sense that it's so wrapped up in him, right? Yeah, and that and and his music had a lot to do with um, not the reason, but I feel like it was there. Discovering his music was a big part was a big part of my life when I was becoming religious because I'm Balchuva, and it was a, a friend of mine like talking about him again, and I didn't know who he was. Right. And he said, oh, he wrote all the songs. I said, I never heard of Shlomo Karl. I don't know who this guy is. And then he sang me four songs, and I heard, I've heard all of them. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I thought those were just like old, anonymous <laughs> right. melodies from Poland in That's the funny. 17th that totally, century. I had that same experience. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. And he was like, nope. You know, he was in Haight-Ashbury in the 60s and influenced by Dylan and all that stuff, you know. Right. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, I never met him personally, but. Right. I mean, know. that's interesting. I think it's such a... Um, you know, I think Bali Chuva in particular yeah. are looking <clears throat> for people like that. That's why so many attach themselves to Manas Yahu as well, which was like, and I think why for some of them it was difficult, you know, when Manas Yahu had his own difficulties, whatever. Yeah. Um, not even comparable, so I don't want to make, I'm not trying to make that parallel. Right, right, right. But I'm just saying the experience of a Balchuva, yeah. creative Balchuva, Bali yeah, yeah. and and really creative Jews in general, but I definitely think Bali Chuva have this kind of unique experience in the sense that they're looking for people who model how you can live both a creative and a spiritual life, at Dafka Orthodox life at Absolutely. the same time. Absolutely. And they're so rare. And not yes. to mention, once they get like a mainstream level, once they're impacting it. Because mm-hmm. that's really, I think, ultimately the dream, I think, of most spiritual creatives is like not just am I making music that's popular, like I'm impacting people on a spiritual level. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I've always, like, since starting to become involved, become religious, I just, like, realize there's always these people, like, right. there who are kind of the models for me. Right. I mean, Jonathan Sachs is one of them, even though he's not necessarily an artist, but I, just his outlook and his perspective. Shlomo yeah. is there. You know, people like Andy Statman also who are making just, uh, you know, unequivocally, yeah. gr- I mean, t- to, I mean, it's it's subjective, but you know, I think Andy is an amazing musician, an amazing artist, and to me, it's an inspiration that he's also from Jew and he's able to do that. Right. Um, and you know, 
coincidentally, another person on that list for me for a very long time was Greg Wall. Mm. And now I have the pleasure of having him in Zion 80. Oh, wow. Um, and That's really, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, that, so I don't mean to get off topic, but yeah, it's very, very difficult. It's just so difficult. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the I guess it's like, can you even imagine a situation like, like what, like, can you imagine what your music would be like if you did that? Like, you know, if I saying? just said, like, if you're like, me no, now? like, yeah, if you like put your <clears throat> foot down, you were just like, this is not even going to be like, I don't even know if it's possible, but yeah. I'm saying this is not going to be part of what we do. Right. But the funniest thing, cause, cause as you're thinking, I was like, sure, I could just take everybody's book of music and take out the Carbock tunes, mm. but he's still there. Right. Exactly. You know, because I like so, the one song on our first album that I wrote right. that's not a Shomo Kabak song is, is it's called Holy Brother. Mm. That's the name of the song. Right. <laughs> and that's it's so very much, you know, and part of it on the musical level was feeling like I wanted to take his music and do something different with it than maybe had been done before. Right. Um, yeah. And then, you know, because part of me is like, well, okay. Like, on some level, there, there's so much that we are dealing with in our lives that maybe we're interacting on one level or another with people who may have done very bad things. Right. So, like, are we going to, you know, watch? I mean, okay, maybe Kevin Spacey's not going to make any more movies, but am I still going to watch an old movie of his? Right. Or listen to Louis C.K.'s comedy? I mean, I can tell you. It was crazy a couple, I mean, it's not crazy because I, I guess I could say at this point I was a huge Louis C.K. fan, but I was, I remember when I was taking down my sukkah, I was listening to a Louis C.K. album. And then it wasn't long after that, that all these things come out. And I can tell you that viscerally, and maybe this ties into what you're talking about before, obviously not that, that I'm a, a victim in that way, but I don't, I have no, like when I think of like, oh, what do I want to listen to on the way to work or whatever? It's not that. Right. That's you so know? interesting. I mean, I it think... just doesn't come into my head. Right. You that, know, and, that... and what if it was like that for somebody who, you know, God forbid, had been right. abused and, you know, it's, I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. I, um, I think, yeah, I think there's kind of like these two levels. One is like our consumption of things. And then there's like, as creatives, as people, I mean, not even as creatives, just people that have a voice. We all have a voice now right. because of the internet right. and all these things, <laughs> right? So we, we, I mean, an amplified voice, right? right. Um, right, right. <laughs> not that we didn't have a voice before, right. but um, we have, so there's these kind of two responsibilities. And I think one is like a personal question. It's like, can I handle it? Should I handle it? These sorts of things. And then there's like the other question, which is like society. So for example, like, um, let's say you did cut out Karl Bach, and yeah. you're saying he's still there. Yeah. Right. So, in my mind, those are harder to separate, but still two different questions. Yeah. Where it's like one is like how inspired, or how much inspiration you're gonna let yourself have from this person. Right. And then the other question, which I think is a totally much more complicated question because mm-hmm. it's more personal. It's mm-hmm. more like, can I see the good? Can I actually separate the bad? Is that possible? Like the right. Louis C.K. Right. Stuff. And then the other question is. What impact, like the more explicit I am with it, if right. I do consume it, and if it is part of me, then what do I do with it then as a person with a voice, as a person with, like I really see as, personally, I think one of the, 
things, I, I think one of the messages of, of Judaism is if you are a leader, you have power. And I think an artist is a leader in their own way, right? So, you know, having a bunch of people mesmerized by you while you're on a stage is right. like an incredible power. It is. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So I just think those, I'm just, I don't even have a question for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You know? No, I know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And, and, and you know, I mean, the the evolution of the band has kind of moved away from only playing his music, but the question is really still there. Right. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, um, I know exactly. Like, it's, it's interesting, like, also just something you brought up, which I thought was fascinating, was kind of like how you had that visceral reaction to Louis C.K. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, when I first started off becoming religious, I remember being super uh, suspicious and judgmental of off the people. Uh-huh. And I know there's going to be a bunch of people emailing me, so I'm just going to say <laughs> I, off the derech is a term I'm only using out of convenience. I think they're on their own. Everyone's on their own derech. Right, right, right. right. So I had to do that. <laughs> had to do that. But anyway, so point being that I used to be extremely judgmental of, mm-hmm. of such because I would see all this bitterness and anger and, and whatever. And I was like, this, there's no way that someone acting that way can be right about anything. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that was kind of my thinking. Um, and then number one, I started to experience some of the things that they had experienced, you know, it's communal judgment, these sorts right, of things. Right. But a bigger thing was a, a much bigger thing was being in touch with off the derrick people. And for example, like, I was, we had a, this is a, a more recent one, but I've had, this is just a good example of the kind of experiences <coughs> that I've had since I've kind of gone more into the creative world as mm-hmm. a Jew. I think you kind of inevitably will rub shoulders with off the direct Jews. So like, yeah. especially in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. And they, last time I was, we, we do these things at my home called Creative Fabringens. Mm-hmm. And, and so at the end of it, there were like a few off the derrick people there. There were a few Bali Chuva there and the off the derrick, a few of the off the derrick people started just telling their stories of abuse. And it was just unbelievable to me. Not, number one, just because there w- were enough to share, you know, they had multiple stories of the things that I couldn't even imagine, you right. know? And it's this kind of stuff that you see now on the Shamas on our site there, you know, that, and, and anyway, so my point being that that was one experience out of many that I've had since then, like of hearing the, these stories, hearing what they've, so many of them have gone through. And all of a sudden I look at the rage and I look at the anger and I look at all these things and I'm just like, there's a different story there. And now I have a visceral, visceral reaction when I uh, almost see people that be, behave like I used to behave, which was to be dismiss, dismissive of such right. people or to right. look down on them and, right. and these sorts of things. And <clears throat> I think that, so like the personal combined with the connection with mm-hmm. people who've literally experienced these things right. um, changed my experience, right? So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it's interesting, the Louis C.K. thing is interesting to me because I think the more it feels personal, the more it becomes that visceral, you know? The more we're just like, ugh, I can't, right. I can't, I can't do it. Right. I feel the same way about Louis C.K. I can't. Yeah, it's bizarre. Like if I listen to his voice, it, I, I, and I, what also worries me is like over time, am I going to change? Like, right. but I know that right now I'm, I can't listen to him either. You right. know, and I think that's one of the that to me is a lesson. I think in terms of like how 
is like you were saying that we have to listen to the populations, right? That kind of brings it back to that because right. that makes it personal for us. The more that we connect right. with those populations, the more we can start to empathize and have the a lessened version of their experiences that help us understand what they're going through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so, I don't know why I keep laughing, but my point is, no, because no, no. I'm just like, okay, <clears throat> that's it. I don't have a th- question. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know where it. But, I think that's why that's a great answer. I don't know. Because I think that's where yeah. we're at right now. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the, the, that word you said, dismissive, I think is, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest and some people may, may have a problem with this. Like I see so much more dismissiveness of other, like people being dismissive of other people. Mm. Maybe it's because I'm noticing it now, or maybe I'm thinking about it now, so I notice it more. And I see it coming from many directions. Mm. You know, that there's this box of what's acceptable. And once you cross that line, you're just in this like netherworld and you are not, you know, you just almost like, not to say not human because you, you wouldn't say that, but you're just wrong. You're bad. You're out of that. No, I, that, yeah. th- that's not how people in my box talk. That's not how they think. You're out of it. And, and in a way, that's kind of like maybe what you were saying, how you felt about right. people who were off the derrick. Right. That's interesting. You know, and then, but then when you connect with them personally right. or you listen to them or something, it, it opens that up a little bit. Right. That's interesting. I think one of the things I think that's interesting about that is that we we talk about that quite a bit. And I think what's fascinating about that is that we are, we're almost going through a purposeful dismissiveness uh, in the sense, and I, I mean this in a healthy way, in the sense yeah. that we're saying we need to dismiss certain people. Otherwise it's, it's dangerous to our culture. Like um, when we accept abusers and this is like, yes. these are the extreme examples, yes. but I think it's interesting because it shows that there's an emis like to the idea of we need to create borders around what's acceptable, I think. But I want to hear what no, you no, think no, about no, no. that. No, 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 absolutely, right. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess there's like there's healthy dismissiveness and there's unhealthy dismissiveness, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I I mean more. I mean, I guess. No, that's actually great. I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe it's in. I mean. You're saying people like expressing opinions and that sort of thing? Yeah. Or, yeah, I guess it's expressing opinions. But but obviously, I mean, there can be a connection between. I, I'm not saying. Right. No, I, yeah. You know, we're too dismissive of neo-Nazis. They're, <laughs> you know, right. they're really good people. Because there is a mindset right. that kind of says that and doesn't take right. real threats and real harm for what it is. That's, yeah, right. that's should be dismissed. And that like there's behavior that, that has been, um, uh, you know, expressed by men against women and it's absolutely not acceptable. It's not acceptable. And, and women have been victimized and silenced and all of these things talking about a voice, you know, like that's, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that as much as like, I mean, I'll be perfectly honest and we can go here if you want to. And it's what I think it doesn't really have much to do with music. I mean, maybe I could capture well, the, the musical well, that's terms. What I told you, we're just going to go. Yeah. I mean, I can go there, but that's a whole political thing. And I don't, I mean, I feel like every day that I'm just ready to just like give up politics altogether, just focus on music, my kids <laughs> earning a living, paying the mortgage right. done. That's it. Yeah. You know, but, but it's like, I mean, I'll use a much more benign example. Yeah. 
which maybe takes it back to music, but <laughs> you can infer whatever. <laughs> but in my high school, where like my, you know, most people I know are formative musical tastes and experiences happened somewhere in there. In like, there were like the punk kids and the metal kids. Mm. And we were totally, I was in the punk group. Mm-hmm. And we were completely dismissive of the metal kids. Music sucks. You get bad grades. You wear leather jackets. You have funny hair, and you smoke outside after school. Right. That's like what the punk kids did. All those boys and girls, like, don't go near them. They're bad. Mm-hmm. And you saw them looking at us. You're snobs. You're into your art. You know, you're a bunch of communists. Like <laughs> whatever. You're in theater. And we could beat all of you up without even thinking about one punch. You wouldn't even know what to do. Which there's probably some truth to both (laughs) sides of that. But as a musician, like I just, I mean, this is like super music geek. Mm -hmm. But I dismissed metal music for years, years. Because I have my mind made up about it. But then when I started listening to it, I'm like a huge fan of a lot of metal bands now and as an whatever the analogy there is but and it was like it took really listening you know and paying attention maybe more to the thing or the person or what the person's saying than my ideas about all the layers that i'm adding on to it you know oh this is the music that the kids who wanted to beat me up used to listen to i don't want to have anything to do with that um yeah it's interesting because i think one of the questions that comes up in these I think part of the reason a lot of this stuff is happening is because um, some people are starting to feel more sure of their morality and I wonder like I think in some ways unhealthy in some ways healthy I think because for example but I think then the question is like for example like we're becoming more sure like this thing about abuse has to be handled this way right like people are becoming more definitive about that yes and so What's interesting about that situation is that it creates a, a second quandary afterwards, which is like, okay, we well, you know how to deal with that, but then how do you deal with a person who is making a different argument than you, like that is less definitive about that? So, for example, yesterday in, the, in that debate, there was someone who was saying, like, number one, they didn't, they it was just accusations, and they're not sure, and you know, like a lot of the stuff you hear about abuse, and then mm-hmm. number two, they were saying. Even if it was true, they're not like they weren't ready to like get rid of his CDs or whatever it was. And, right. And and it was interesting because the two people that were upset with him were victims of abuse. But what was and so I would never like the two people that were upset at like so what happened with the was person there was a saying he this guy not, yeah yeah he's there not was, ready to throw the CDs out and stop right. singing the tunes. So there was a reaction. To him, that was, I think it was mainly based around the accusation thing, like him saying. Right. But gotcha, there gotcha. was a lot of anger and vit, like like anger and, and rage directed right. at him. Right. And it was kind of like we had to step in a few times as moderators in the group. Wow. And, and, but it's weird because you're stepping in and being like, victims of abuse, you need to chill out. Right. Um, and I think that that's we've had like one or two situations like that in the past, not, not that specifically, but where it's so clear that it's impossible to actually have 
a constructive discussion with someone if you, if you having that dismissive attitude. Like, and it was, again, it wasn't even just dismissive. It was like you. It was an attitude of like you are a horrible person until you change your mind about this, right? Um, which I sympathize with because I was getting just as angry, and the only and I think probably the only reason <laughs> that I reacted differently was because I was a moderator of the group, and right. so. I, Your role in the conversation was different. Right. So I had a responsibility. I was like, right. okay, we have these rules about how we right, talk right, right, right. and all these things. Right. And normally I'm not sympathetic to the ones who are so upset, but in such a situation, I'm actually extremely sympathetic to them. And I'm right. feeling not to the level that they are, but I'm feeling their anger. Right. right. And, but I think what you're speaking to, I think is really powerful because it was just like, and it was interesting because I, I ended up like making a comment there. And, and what was interesting about that was you could see that they heard it. Like, I don't know if they agreed with it, but they heard it and they listened to it. And, and I, and one of them, someone I'm very close with and that sort of thing. And, and, um, I think they're also stuck in this quandary of like, I, this matters to me so much. Right. This triggers me. This gets me angry. This hurts me. There's this person, he's not a, I can tell he's not evil. He's not, you know, God forbid, doing these things. Right. He's he's an enabler of it, right? And like, so then are we going to be dismissive of those people? And I think that's kind of the situation that we yes. find ourselves in yes. when it comes to like the political climate and that sort yes. of thing. Are the, the people who enable that, or we see it as enabling, right? right. Or we see who, right. who are good, yes. you know, who are yes. like, and then the question is, what is good? But blah, blah, blah. But, but what we can definitely see is that when, what I could see in that micro inter, in, interaction yeah. was that his mind wasn't going to be changed if they spoke to him like that. And, right. And, and, he, yeah, and his mind true. could be changed, I thought. Like, his mind could be changed if, he, if the conversation was Was more different. moderate, yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, was, I saw the good in him. Yeah. You know, it would be yeah. a better way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, I hear this a lot, like, in debates about Israel also. Right, exactly. You know? And then even there, there's then there's the question of, are we, am I becoming too sympathetic to seeing the good in someone else? Right. To the point where right. I'm now becoming an enabler myself, you know? Right. That's the... Right. Like, there was, not to harp on the neo-Nazi thing, but there was that... <laughs> it's a good example. It's always a great always, place to go. Right. I know. Right. Like, <laughs> Nazis I, I posted, are easy. I posted something... I think a lot of people got a kick out. I posted on Instagram. It was some, somebody made a, uh, like a mock children's book cover that was like, oh, it right, was a right. little Everyone kid. is Hitler or something yeah, like that. Yeah, everyone I don't like on the internet is Hitler, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> but it was like, over like a rainbow and like it was right. very flowery and the little kid. Um, but um, th- there was a profile recently in the New York Times. Mm. It, it got a lot of criticism. Oh, right, of the... The Nazi next door or something. Right, the Nazi next door, yeah. And like when I read it, first of all, I was like, I read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found the article itself interesting. And, but then I was like, uh-oh, they're going to get a lot of flack for this. <laughs> so you like knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, you can yeah. tell. And maybe, it, maybe they wrote it in a way to be provocative. I, I don't know. I don't know who wrote it or whatever. I thought it was a well-written article. Um, but then it's like, but then in my mind, I'm like, is it okay that this person is kind of being humanized? Right. And it's, that kind of points to what you're saying. Obviously, I think his views, his views are wrong and should be dismissed, but it's even like, even that word dismissed, it's like, he's wrong. Somebody who thinks that way is wrong. 
Right. They're wrong. It's like somebody thinks the earth is flat. <laughs> it's not flat. Right. Like you're, I mean, you're entitled to your belief on so You're not entitled to kill somebody who doesn't believe that. But if somebody ascribes to these, I mean, it's like they're, they're, I was going to say they're crazy in a way, but they're not. They're just, they're ro- totally wrong. But wh- then what do you do with that? Right. Like you're saying, it doesn't sound like this person who was saying these things was in that category, but like enabler is, is like kind of the right word. Like, well, I think that's interesting because I think in that situation, it was almost like the people that were angry about that article weren't angry about the not, I mean, obviously they're angry about Nazis, right. but the, what they're angry about is the writer and the editors behind the article. And yes. they're saying, you are like, like this guy It's analogous to this guy. Yes. He's making this like in the sense that. There's that in-between layer, which is... Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think because yeah. part of it is there's this urgency of, of understanding, like, if we don't convince, if we don't, if those people continue to act that way, then the other people, like the Nazis will, or whoever they are, will be allowed to, because it's not just like they just exist in a vacuum, right? It's because that's what we're realizing about the Me Too campaign is that there were a lot of people allowing Weinstein, allowing Spacey, like that knew yep. about they these knew. things yep. that allowed them to, and then they still, you know, they're still worried. But like, and, and again, I'm not trying to say that's a one-to-one comparison, right, right, but right. I'm saying but, that you can't divorce an evil, a person with who's done evil things or believes evil things and shares them with the world, whatever it is, right. and the people who allow them to, or or empower them even, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or enable them or whatever the word is, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's when we get into this area that's very difficult. I think yeah. it's because that's much harder. Much you, harder. Because it's easy to dismiss a Nazi. It's much harder to dismiss a New York Times writer. I mean, depending who you are. It's much easier <laughs> to dismiss them. Right. A, a journalist who's right. trying to do their job. Right. Thinks they did a good job, whatever. Right. Might and be whose wrong. job is to report on something. Right. If this is a phenomenon because of the political climate and the president and the election and this, these... People have been given some sort of legitimacy right. because of that. Like, so it's it's normal. F- it t- t- would seem to me to be normal for a journalist to be like, "Oh, well, you do like a personal take on this larger issue, right. and you find this guy. Oh, and he, look look at that. He's a Nazi. He's got you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> mein Kampf is sitting on the bookshelf, you know, next to his cat. Like, right. and it's you know, like on the first thinking about it, I. I didn't agree with the people who said this piece should not have been published. Mm-hmm. But I certainly understand their argument. You're normalizing him. You're legitimizing him. I mean, look at this guy. Who is he? He's some nut job. And the New York Times shows up at his door. Mm. It's like the New York Times is going to go interview, you know, I, I can't think of somebody, you know, offhand, like, you know, the Dalai Lama, like somebody who like, or like some Doctors Without Borders, like somebody who's really... Very few people would argue or is, it, you know, are not doing a lot for the world in a good way. Right. And then you're going to knock on this Nazi story and give them the time of day? Like, right. why? So I kind of, I can see both sides of it. Right. And I think that's what's interesting because we, the other thing about evil, let's say if we see someone as evil, let's say an abuser or a Nazi mm-hmm. or a terrorist, mm-hmm. we see these people as evil. So the, in general, we tend to think of them as not whether right or wrong, we tend to think of them as like irredeemable, at least in a practical sense. Right. Like this person is so entrenched in their evil that it's not worth it to think about whether I'm going to convert. And then this is not everyone's opinion, but I do think most of us were saying like, we're not going to stand for this. So that yeah. means uh, just on a practical level, we have to cut them out. Right. Right. 
But then the question is, like, I think that what happens is um, that I, I, I know from personal experience and from seeing others who've been traumatized by people like this, like, mm-hmm. that the thing that angers them so much is the, the quiet people or the, like the right. people who empower them or whatever. Right. Because those are the people that the reason so much anger gets directed at those people is because, is because of the good in them. Because right. they're like, you have the ability to control yourself. Right. I mean, and again, this is all subconscious, yeah. I think. But yeah. like, you have the ability to not be like, you have the ability not to write that article. Right. Not to, you know, play that music at your services, et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera. So that's where so much of the, the vitriol, get, it's like a, a transferred vitriol because it's like they wish they could get angry at the terrorists, but what good is that going to do? Right, exactly. Yeah, um, and it's like that, I don't know, I, I'm going to mangle the quote, but the, the thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is that good people do nothing. Right, exactly. So that acknowledges that there's evil out there and you're almost like, it just is. right. You know, it's like a fire that you're going to just let it burn. You're not even going to try to put it out. It's the, it's there. Don't go over there. Don't get anywhere near it. You know, stay away from it. But, you know, if people, well, I don't know what the analogy would be there because I guess you would presumably want to put the fire out. But like, you know, but there, there are good people standing around just letting it burn. Right. You know, or, or like fire exists in the world. It's a thing that exists, and it's a thing that actually, at root, is not good or bad. It could do either. But there's a guy standing around, and he's got a bucket of water in his hand, and he's just standing there. Right. That's the guy that you're going to get mad at. You're not going to get mad at the fire, because who cares? In a way, the nature of fire is a given. Right. The nature of a Nazi, a terrorist, an abuser is a given. Right. You know? And I think, again, that's, <sighs> but, a, that's a debate in of itself, but I think there yeah, is... Yeah, I, 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 I think, think there's a the debate psych- in of itself. Yeah, but I think there's the psychological aspect of that, which yeah. is that that's what we're struggling with now. I yeah. think, like, yeah, yeah. What, do we, what do we do about that? And yeah. I think, um, I do think, though, that part of the answer that we're being given is, for, I think we're seeing that, why is it that, that, that these abusers were in power? It wasn't just because they were in power, it was because people were actively inactive, you know, we're, we're yeah. scared. It may be scared, yeah. but, but, or, or just we're like, yeah, this is the way things are yeah. and whatever. And so that's, that's literally like why the Me Too campaign happened, right? Was they were saying like, we're going to make this so you can't ignore it because we're all going to talk about how we experienced it. Right. And when you see how many of us experienced it, <laughs> it's undeniable. Yeah. And you'll see then that you, 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 like anyone who's reading this is involved because if every single one of us is sharing it, then what does that say about you, right? And I think, I think that to me is like the reckoning that we're coming to. And I think that's why we're getting dismissive. But I, I, not that that's the right answer, but I think that that's part of, there's like a correction happening, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yes. And I think that's, yeah. but the question is, where are we going to end up? And I think that's one of the things we can all agree on is that we're like, I have no idea where we're going to end up right. like in this regard. Right. Right. And I think that's why your answer of, I don't know, it's a good answer because it's yeah. like, well, we need to talk. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly don't mean it as a cop out and it may come across to some people that way. I think you know, it's but, amazing that you're saying I'm willing to talk to my band about it. I mean, I think that's. Yeah. I want to hear what they think. I mean, powerful. and it happens that, I mean, the <laughs> this is another thing altogether. Most of the musicians that I, work with um this is a, a larger issue of of 
whatever. There happens to be one woman in my band and nine guys. Right. That's the makeup of the band. I called musicians who I I had them in mind when I formed the band. Um, But I would certainly, I mean, I would want to hear what they all would say. And right, hear that. And interesting. Including Jessica, who's right. who I hired her, you know, not because she's a Jew or, or a woman, but because she's an amazing saxophone player. And but and I knew her voice on her instrument, and that's what I wanted right. to have in there, you know. But that's it's a it's an important conversation to have, and I'm sure I would imagine that there are some musicians who'd be like, eh, I mean, it's just we're just playing music, right. you know, and. I don't think it's, I mean, I hear where they're coming from, but I don't think it's that simple. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just <laughs> I keep coming back to saying that. But yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And But we have to think about it. And right. I think that's great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. I know that this. <laughs> if you had come when we were planning originally, this would be a completely different discussion. But right. I think that's actually great. No, it's like, all good. It's, we're talking about what's happening yeah, and what we're thinking. It's know. really powerful, and yeah. I, I really want to thank you because I, I think, of course, it's not easy to have these discussions, especially you're enmeshed in it. So I think, yeah, thank I you sure for am. doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think it was brave of you to do that. Oh, and, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. So thank you. How can we find out about your band? Um, so. Well, there's a lot that I'm, I'm working on right now. Zion oh, 80 yeah, yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, um, to shift into just <laughs> self-promotion, because that's the best way to, to do it. <laughs> um, the band is called Zion 80, and I'll just say very quickly that it comes from, it's, a, it's like a, an homage to Fela. The last band that he had was called Egypt 80, mm-hmm. so I like made oh, it I Zion see. 80. Um, and he formed it in 1980, but I couldn't come up with a number uh-huh. That sounded good, as good as 80, so I just left it. Anyway. So how so, do we find the band? So Zion80.com, Zion and then the number 80.com. Uh-huh. And um, I also have started a record label called Chant Records, along with Shinier Blumenkrantz, who's not only the bass player in Zion80, but a tremendous producer and musical mind. And we're putting out a lot of music by not only our bands, but a lot of other artists. And that's chantrecords.com. Mm-hmm. And you can sign up um, for the mailing list and get a lot of music. And those are kind of the... I have other things. you have any uh, performances coming? Um, I'm not sure when this is going to come out. Um, it's going to come out this Sunday, probably. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Um, well, I, I just finished a, a, a busy couple months of shows. Um, the next kind of big thing is that Zion 80 is playing um, at Symphony Space on October, uh, not October, um, April 12th. We we work a lot with John Zorn. We've um, oh, yeah. been recording on his label for a long time. And we have an album coming out that's part of a larger collection of his music. And there's a show at Symphony Space in on April 12th. And um, we'll be playing other places in the U.S. Or later in the year. And then we'll be going to Europe with Zorn and doing some festivals in next fall. But in New York, April 12th at Symphony Space is the next thing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you a lot. Yeah. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great. Thank you for listening to Hivria Cast. I'm Alad Neharai. If you'd like to hear more and read more of our work, you can follow us by going to hivria.com or facebook.com slash Mag. We've been recording at the Kalal Studios in New York City, 
And the music that you're hearing is Voice Lessons by Darshan. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. Kal, kalad, kalyan.